The Dorkening and all affiliated shows are not intended for anyone under the age of 18. The following may contain discussions or scenes that have adult situations, graphic violence, nudity, strong sexual content, and graphic language. This show is intended for mature audiences only. Viewer discretion is advised. Look, up in the sky, it's a bird! It's a plane! Their mission, to fight injustice, to right that which is wrong, and to serve all mankind. I can't get over this. So the only thing left to say, of course, is the one obvious thing. Excelsior! Everyone thinks because you're a zombie, you don't know good coffee. Well, they're wrong. There's only one brew that gets my seal of approval. Deadly Grounds coffee is my guilty pleasure. The aroma is so intoxicating. It brings all of my neighbors out of the woodwork. Deadly Grounds coffee. Coffee to die for and zombie approved. It's good to get a little deadly. Use the front door! Oh, they're so disgusting. Do you have a hankering for horror knowledge? We have such sights to show you. Do you require raging retro reviews? Do you desire discussions with devastatingly dashing dorks? The Dorkening Podcast Network has nearly 30 shows to satisfy all of your nerdy, geeky, and dorky needs. From horror reviews and celebrity interviews. Hi, I'm Adam Green, the director of the Hatchet films and the star of Allison. Hi, this is Dominic Pace, who played the bounty hunter Gecko from The Mandalorian. Hi, I'm Mike Price. I'm a writer on The Simpsons. I co-created Epis for Family. Hi, guys. This is Dee Wallace from E.T. and Cujo. Hi, my name is Kurando Mitsutake, director of Gun Woman and Karate Kill. Hi, this is Samantha Newark, the voice of Jem and Jerrica from the original Jem and the Holograms cartoon series. As well as nostalgic trips into the past, pop culture, the latest in entertainment news, and so much more. Featuring a variety of shows and hosts that will simultaneously enrage, enlighten, and entertain you. Check out the Dorkening Podcast Network. My mom says I'm cool. Available on iTunes, Spotify, thedorkening.com, and wherever fine podcasts can be found. Here now. Oh, it, it's gone. It's gone. Yay. Okay. <laughs> uh, okay. Happy Tuesday, everybody. You're watching Splash Pages, the comic book club. Uh, and we just lost them. <laughs> uh, with us, as always, Velvet Joker. How's it going, bud? It's going great. How's everyone doing tonight? Doing great. Ready for a fun interview with Mr. Doug Rice, Animator Supreme. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Mr. Drew Malo, how's it going, bud? Yes. Excellent. <laughs> We're going to take over the world. I mean, hi. I'm Drew. We're going to be interviewing Doug Rice. He's done things. You probably know his work. But now you're going to know him better. Okay. And uh, even better, we have uh, we have him in video there now. Is. Hey, Doug, how's it going? Fine. Oh my god, it worked! <laughs> Eureka! All pra Charles praise D. Charles D. Mossand, who does your tech support. Awesome dude, awesome dude. Nice, <laughs> nice. Uh, mm -hmm. 
Speaking of tech support, I'm going to let you guys uh, uh, grab it because I have a minor issue over here I need to fix. So I'm going to let you, uh, uh, Drew or Velvet, uh, if you want to kick it off. Wait, what? What? Wait, wait. Are you just going to leave? You're just going to leave I, us I, here? I, with, I'm with... mute myself for a second because I. Yeah, this I, is I, a I, this is a horrible first impression for Mr. Rice what? here. Okay, we're supposed to be <laughs> professionals. Drew. Yes, sir. You should call your last name Draw, so you're Drew Draw. You know what? That's it. That's That's, I'm going to the office to tomorrow. Up. Let's do it. <laughs> well, so, welcome, Doug. Welcome. Yeah. Thank you for uh, gracing us with your presence. And now that we well, see you visually, you're such you a debonair and handsome man. <laughs> I know. Hey, hey. Who's that? Hey, hey. Velvet, does Harley know that you're you're coming on this strong? Like, uh, come on, man. Hey, All listen, right. you, this this man is a legend, and uh, I, I'm I'm gonna find out what makes this man tick tonight. L listen, I I understand. I was bummed when I I thought I couldn't do the interview last week. Oh, we're just gonna reschedule. I was like, yes, second chance. Got to get better. Um, <laughs> but so you know. Before we get to the interview, let, let's just talk about a few things uh, going on in the world, uh, whatnot. Uh, I, I, Leo, are, can you hear me still? I can hear you. Yeah, yeah. I just had to stop a couple items that were streaming, but we are good. All right. So well, I, I hate, uh, I don't know why now I'm the bearer of sad news, but I feel like we have to bring up certain things. So since we've last saw each other, shit has happened in the world. And I feel we have to have some memoriam. One, recently we lost Louis Anderson, who died recently. He's 68, passed away from complications from blood cancer. Uh, great comedian. Yes. Wonderful, wonderful person. Um, it's sad because I see all people posting things. And the thing I remember him the most from is coming to America. And uh, my joke was... He moved up to from making fries. So, good go, Louis. Um, had to say that. And then other sad one, uh, which I have to say hit me a little harder than Louis Anderson, was that uh, the artist formerly known as Meatloaf passed away. Um, that was very sad. Passed away seventy four. I believe it was due to complications due to COVID. Um, I'm not one hundred percent sure on that. Um, but such a loss. I mean, I'm not going to lie. There, there was definitely some blasting of Bad Out of Hell uh, that Friday. And I have also no problem admitting that there was definitely some not caring if anyone was looking, although I was alone in my apartment drum soloing because goddamn that song. Um, but he can't do say mask. Shut up. <laughs> you had to go there. Thank you, Velvet. Um so I have to give those people, both of those guys credit, you know, um, another two bite the dust as they would say, but fortunately their work lives on. I have at least at one point said his name was Robert Paulson, just because being a fan of fight club, you have to. Um, <clears throat> so that, um, something big was happening. Oh, right. And, and uh, on a side note, finally saw Hawkeye guys. If I, may add, <laughs> if I may add with the memorialist, yes, sir. Uh, a very close uh, friend Please. of mine, um, Chris Akuleos. The artist. 
the artist. Have you ever watched Heavy Metal the movie? Yes. 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 Remember the poster with that most beautiful woman that it was your straight test? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, he passed. Oh no. Oh yeah, man. he had a um, stroke and uh and uh three days later uh, uh he was not able to make it. And he had done almost all of the target Doctor Who covers. And fortunately, mm-hmm. uh, we, we worked together and uh, he found a good publisher and his last uh, collected work is a Doctor Who book of all of his book covers together. But if you look at Chris wow. Accoleo, you know, he is survived by his children, his grandchildren and his uh, amazing, mm-hmm. beautiful wife, uh, Tasha Accoleos. All right. Well, thank well, you very much. Charles. You know, I hate to say it, death comes in threes. So we're, there's the complete set. Um, so Doug's safe. Yeah, well, we have the very live Doug Rice right here, right now. There you go. Live and in person. Still kicking. Pro- Professor Doug Rice. Excuse me, Professor. All right. That's true. So, uh, yeah, uh, Chris Akaleos, uh, uh, Heavy Metal, Radio Times. Uh, he also did Conan the Barbarian uh, and uh, Doctor Who, Star Trek, um, yeah, Heavy Metal, Blade Runner. Nice. He did a proposed poster for Blade Runner. Uh, he also did uh, the right. controversial cover for White Snake's 1979 album Love Hunter. Wow, that's how you know you made it big if you've got controversy. Well, he was based you in know, England, wasn't he? Yes, he was. A, he uh, was based in England. That's why he might not be as uh, well known over here. His but, art is, and what was but cool, his art is, yes. and, and what was cool was uh, he was in Cyprus, uh, born in '47. And uh, immigrated to uh, England. And one of the stories I remember when I was, it was amazing. He was at a convention and I was next to him. And mm-hmm. I was helping to sell stuff. He couldn't believe it that I was helping to sell stuff. And, and he invited me over to his home. Mm-hmm. And at mm-hmm. the end of the con, I went over there. He, he offered to sleep over. And, you know, I got to meet his wife or back then fiance. Mm-hmm. And one of the stories that he told me about was being a child playing in these large craters as a kid. And it turned out those craters were the remnants of World War II, covered in flowers and soot and amazing stuff. It was you know, some weird stories. Great history. Yeah. Gotta love uh, those little stories, my dude. His art but, is uh, just amazing. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. That's, that is really great. Yeah. Here's Gotta love the, that attention to detail. Heavy now, Charles, you know, how it, young, young a man was uh, was this gentleman? Uh, he was, uh, I believe, in the 70s, 74. Okay. That's, that's not horrible. But I'm going to yeah. back down because it's now Doug. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you for Let's your contribution, though, Charles. Doug. So, yeah. Go ahead, Drew. So, no, no. So what I was going to say is, um, so everybody... It was very hard in Mr. Rice's career for us to pick something to talk about that obviously wasn't the uh, elf-sized elephant in the room. So <laughs> we definitely went with a comic that matched, in our opinion, the goofy uh, Silver Age uh, chap in us all. We chose the four-part miniseries Plastic Man. And oh. uh, I do have to... So, I do have to say, before we, we do that, um, 
being Plastic Man and being uh, that I'm, I'm I'm trying to give a shout out to as many fr- friends of mine who do awesome cosplay work. I do know somebody who does a fantastic Plastic Man, and I myself am a fan of the character simply because of Brave and the Bold, which did probably the best version of Plastic Man I've ever seen. Um, and this person whose photo I sent to our group chat, aka Leo, and yeah, Mr. Me, Tech me Monkey me Behind the key, key, Keyboard is, uh, and I'm trying to cue this up, Leo, so like, yeah, I can be like, Dan, and then, wait, no, it'd be the other way, right, sorry, I, I forget, so I can just be, ah, the photo, but you're, 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 on smalls, yeah, cue it, cue it up, you're killing me. I'm losing my momentum in front of Mr. Rice here. This is I got her up right now. Cool. Okay. So so this is a, a, a friend of mine. Uh, his name is uh, Taylor Brandon. He goes by T-Money1138 on Instagram. And his plastic man is second to none, honestly. Uh, hands down. I mean, it's so funny, especially because to this day and age, plastic man is still rocking the same costume. With mm-hmm. just little changes, and to this day, that's pretty impressive because pretty much any character you think of has had modified and 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 whatnot. It's very rare you see somebody still rocking the same duds that they were back in the heyday. Um, but he's just got that silver age charm, and I oh. I, I felt I had to. So so I feel like I should ask our guests to chime in what he thinks because it's pretty. I, I'm I'm pretty biased. I think that was pretty great. There was very, very nice. I, I've always felt that the, the time for a live action plastic man movie that was had filled with CGI, that time has come and gone. Sadly, mm-hmm. because it's that kind of uh, special effects work has been done to death already. So a movie wouldn't wouldn't be too special or special enough for plastic man. It would take a very, yeah. very powerful director to come up with a, with a version of the character for a uh, CGI film that would really work. Um, well, you, you know, what uh, what DC is doing right now for TV, uh, you know, with, with James Gunn and, uh, you know, work like Peacemaker. Okay. Peacemaker has just the right amount of goofiness. And, and, you know, it doesn't really have that much special effects. But, you know, I could see a, a Plastic Man uh you know, series on uh, on HBO. I think that would be incredible. Could you see yeah. Plastic Man being a uh, a guest and uh, make it and make an appearance in Peacemaker? I God, think he. Uh, uh, well, they certainly <laughs> drop a lot of obscure characters, so they do. Yeah, it, uh, I mean, honestly, we, we got Polka Dot Man in, in uh, you know in uh, Suicide, Suicide Squad, Squad. Yeah. Yeah, which was I mean, a precursor to uh, Peacemaker. I mean, I, listen, for me, it's not as much my question of who would be the perfect plastic man. I'm just like, yo, who's Woozy Winks? Because that, you got to <laughs> nail. Because you got to have that right amount of occasionally helpful, but absolutely psychotic, bumbling sidekick with the it's word. It's Danny DeVito. It's Danny DeVito all day long. We can't always oh, default to no. Danny DeVito no. if we want... <laughs> We can't listen, Rich. As much as the world wants to default when we need somebody short and sarcastic to be Danny DeVito, I'm sure there are other people. Okay, it's like we can't just oh, we want something weird and gothic. We're gonna go to Tim Burton. No, 
just like the special effects Mr. Rice has talked about, played out. Move on. Let's get some new blood. Thank you very all much. All right, all right. I got um, new blood. You know, you know, uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna top you, Velvet. Yeah, Pat and Oswald. I was just thinking that. Thank you for saying it. <laughs> Thank you for saying it. Yeah, because I mean, you he's know, doing uh, Pip to Troll work. I just saw that. Yeah, he's sadly. What? No way. Really? Yeah. Oh, we just we, you did you just dropped you just dropped a spoiler uh, on Drew. Sorry, sorry. God damn it, Leo. You know what? That's you know what, Leo? Leo, that's two minutes in the Scalarlic pit, okay? Hey, two. you had a couple weeks to watch the movie. What, what, what we know Drew's behind. He just finished Hawkeye. You know what? Hope for you know excuse excuse my No, my, I I know you my... have a busy life. I'm not bitching about you. I'm just saying. I'm I, stating I a was fact. Sick. Okay, like it's amazing I could pull off Hawkeye, but you know whatever. This isn't about me. This is about Mr. Rice. We're talking about Plastic Man, all that. But when we're done with the show, Velvet words, heated, right, words, angry, monologue, it's, it's words. It's on. It's Drew. on. Like it is on like an old game of Donkey Kong. Okay, you have to blow right. the cartridge, make it work. I got my barrels ready to throw down at your head. You know, on the subject so, of Woozy, is the, on the subject of Woozy Winks. Yes, which is a great character. Oh, yes. Well, we, we had a problem getting the whole thing incorporated into the DC universe, which is real. Mm-hmm. And uh, Plastic mm-hmm. Man, in order to do it right, you can't, it can't be real looking. Right. And uh, the, uh, the editors left it to Phil Folio, who was the, the main person in the room, uh, who mm-hmm. got the assignment, and the artist, Hilary Barta, who did a spot on that call as far as I'm concerned. Fantastic. And myself to uh, work it out right. as to how these characters would fit into the DC universe believably. Mm-hmm. And uh, fortunately, uh, Hillary had a uh, friend, Kevin Owen, who worked for DC. Great. And uh, we decided that we we're going to have a situation where Plastic Man was covered with the chemicals as he was originally as, as Eel mm-hmm. O'Brien, and he was going right. to get his powers and his vision of the world. His mm-hmm. brain was affected by it as well. Okay. Oh. Okay. And so that's so why the style that's why, changed. Yeah. And the character of Woozy Winks, the person he meets in this condition, mm-hmm. is a uh, was was a victim of Ronald Reagan's uh, policy of dumping uh, mentally ill people onto the street. Right. Yeah. So mm-hmm. Woozy Winks has always seen the world this way. Right. So the fact that they see the world the same way bonded them. Huh. That's why they're stuck together. I see. Absolutely. So that's absolutely genius because I, I I was asking that after we read the uh, the the series, um, you know mm-hmm. why the the change and you know we do see him get dumped with the the acid, and mm-hmm. I was you know uh, talking about this with Rich last week, you know thinking about you know was that his own view of the world changing because of the acid? Exactly. Well, that's acid. awesome. Now yeah, you Phil Folio says he yeah. thought of that idea, and I know I thought of the idea. It must have been at the same time, kind of uh, serendipitous, 
And uh, we, mm-hmm. we were able to sell it to DC and they, they bought it. So long as there were pages in the book that showed the real world too. And that's what Hillary Barter did. You got Kevin Nolan in to do the reality pages. Right. That are featured in each book. And uh, that's, how, that's how we worked it out. Nice. Yeah. And, and, and it's so funny because when you see Plastic Man, like it, it, it automatically adds a certain level of goofiness to you know and the dc world is fairly serious as it is i mean i I think one of my favorites was there was a version of him uh in frank miller's all-star uh batman and robin and it's Mm -hmm. during their early stages and they're they're talking about you know capturing batman and killing batman and he's just over there you know turning into a plane or a bomb where he's just goofing off and i'm just it's always so nice because again a lot of people would compare him to elongated man, which isn't fair because he had similar powers, but, but, you know, Ralph Dibney was always a detective who just happened to also have Mr. Fantastic powers. Eel O'Brien was a former criminal who got a lucky second chance and became a, a hero because of it. But yet somehow his sense of humor is always been part of the character and, or is basically an excuse for any artist to just whatever, crazy shit you want to throw in there why not he can do it he's he's, he's made of rubber now, drew a little before your your time but i don't know if you're aware there used to be a saturday morning cartoon that had plastic man in it yes and uh later on there was even a, a baby plaz yes i missed that one <laughs> yeah they 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 referenced that in um brave and the bold with his okay. wife, uh, you know, a little, 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 a little baby, and a schnitzel dog, and then you know they have those baby's day out like scenarios where you know Plas and Woozy have to save them, and you know yet no matter what, uh, you know Plas is always in in the doghouse. So yeah, but it was funny because it's just a little baby who literally wears the shades, has the curl, red. I was just like, I can't. I can't deal with this this beautiful golden uh, silver age malarkey, but no. But it uh, it's I'm just saying. Anytime I've ever seen Plastic Man, it's always I'm like, oh no, it's about to get really goofy it's in the best way. So, you know, reading this was it's, I was like, wow, this is out there funny. Can't handle Jack Cole as being the only well only uh, source of material for Plastic Man. And which is a shame because Jack Hall is a, is a bottomless pit of great ideas. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, that miniseries we did just touched, touched the, the surface of what possibly we could have done with an ocean of material. Um, we, if we had a regular series, I'm sure it would have been uh, great. I, yeah. we, got, we got four issues and we're happy. Mm-hmm. Was it was it well well received at the time, Doug? No, <laughs> no. And has it has it slept on to become a cult classic? In all the time that since the book has come out, this is the only opportunity I've had to talk about it because oh. you're the only, you're the only ones who've asked about it. Wow, you're welcome. I would have thought we, it been a cult we like classic. To, we like to hear origin story. You'd be surprised how popular the other versions of Plastic Man are compared mm-hmm. to ours. Interesting. Oh. We, we 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 like giving a do? spot to the little guy. So, 
well, you know, every, every comic counts in, 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 our, in our mind. Even the ones that are meh. I'm like, still good for you, buddy. Waste in the paper. Um, but this but, year was... No, yeah, was certainly not met. It was, you know, the artwork was amazing. The story was great. You know, it, it, it's, uh, you know, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it, but it, it's. We got a, um, a, while we were working on the second issue, uh, we were uh, uh, approached by a very slick New York art magazine to do a story on how a comic book like ours was being made. And they sent over a photographer and a person to interview us while we were working on that issue of Plastic Man. And it was published. It's probably the most prestigious article on comic books ever published anywhere. And it's on Plastic Man, number two. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were uh, we have pictures of us working on it, sitting around talking and gesturing and that kind of stuff. It makes good photos. And... <laughs> It's it's still you know probably work. I thought that would be the high point of my career <laughs> at that time. I really thought that was going to be it. At least I was going to be in one prestigious magazine with my friends here working on a book that we all really enjoyed. Mm-hmm. And, but I don't think any comic fan ever saw that book, <laughs> that magazine. Well, well, if we ever get, well, I will say this, if I ever get a chance to meet you at a convention, I will gladly bring a copy and be like, hey, do you remember when we were talking about Plastic Man? Here, now you can say you signed a copy too. Two off your list. (laughs) (laughs) You know? Well, it it was, so it was, uh, this came out in 88. So uh, just three years before it. um, So in 1985's uh, San Diego Comic-Con, you received a most promising newcomer award at the age of 34. Yes, that was a uh, conspiracy. Okay. Um, Dynamo Joe had uh, had just c- come out, and there were a lot of uh, very a- a- agitated and excited uh, mecha fans, giant robot fans, and fandom at that point. They were uh, a growing concern, and uh, they were in they were in contact through the uh, animation clubs that ran across the country in New York and Dallas and Chicago and LA and San Francisco. And they all got together and said, let's vote for Doug Rice <laughs> as a block. <laughs> and that's how I got the award. Nice. Hey, friends banding together. Yeah, oh, they, yeah. they can't take it back from me. You can be like, oh, that was a mistake. Can well, we like, no, 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 get back seats. I, I only found out about it afterwards. Mm-hmm. But uh, I was like, "Oh wow!" <laughs> so that yeah, was that's, uh, that's that was pretty, how that's, that's how it But yes, that's how I got the award. Nice. So I love Russ Manning. He's one of my he's one of the influences I had for Dynamo Joe, the gleaming metal that uh, mm-hmm. all the techniques that Russ Manning used for Magnus Robot Fighter were what I used for a Dynamo Joe. Oh, wow. So. I do have to ask about the series. Was there any moment that is your particular favorite or if not favorite, was there one that, that you guys either thought, wow, wouldn't it be great. And then you did it and you're like, wow, we actually made that happen. Or one that just like killed you. Like as you guys were like working on it, you just couldn't stop laughing. Cause I imagine, oh. you know, it's, it's, you know, <laughs> um, I would say we, we were laughing all the time. 
Uh, the problem oh. was not that we couldn't come up with jokes, is that we kept coming up with better jokes <laughs> as we went along. And mm -hmm. we, we couldn't agree on which one was the best. But uh, I, right. I was always outgoing because I, I was the contributor of gag humor when they mm -hmm. didn't have a joke. Whereas uh, Phil and uh, Hillary together were able to come up with a huge amount of material. And I, I was there to essentially make sure everything was spelled correctly. <laughs> it's, it's important. So, uh, but in terms of which moment in the in this in the four part series, um, mm -hmm. I think it we may have uh, peaked a little early with the uh, the um, Ooze Brothers because uh, I got we all got the giggles working that one. <laughs> But uh, we, we enjoyed them all. We really did. That's good. Yeah. But. Yeah, Doug, if you had um if you had to pinpoint three characters that you may have yeah, it doesn't matter if you've worked on them or not worked on them. Do you have like three favorite characters? Um as far as uh, superheroes, whether they be DC, Marvel, that maybe you wish you worked on or or even if you have worked on them, or, or, you know, what what are your top three? We're talking about DC or Marvel or DC or DC alone. Whatever works for you. Okay. All. Um, All uh, the I, above. <laughs> I, I would have to say that my biggest disappointment was that I never got to do a Spider-Man. Okay. Not even for one panel. <laughs> oh, no. I would love to have done a, a rendition of Spider-Man because uh, as a kid, it was like the, the, whole, the only reason I wanted to get into art it's because I was so enraptured by Steve Ditko's Spider-Man. And I wanted to do something that would be a tribute to that. Sure. Mm -hmm. um, the, uh, the characters. Um, in terms of DC, I think I would like to try Batman. Okay. Because he went, he went back a long way, even longer as a kid. I remember I went to a, a yeah. Colin costume thing at my school when I was in like the third grade mm -hmm. and one mm -hmm. of the teachers was dressed up in a homemade Batman costume Wow! that was spot on and so, when you're talking about this is in the late 1950s mm -hmm. right? and seeing, seeing an actual real Batman costume full cape everything right. by somebody who really you know made the costume work uh, I was in a daze. Uh, I just couldn't believe it. We looked that good. Right. Really imprinted on you. Yeah. And consequently, when I saw the Batman TV series, like a decade later, it's like, mm -hmm. ugh. <laughs> what a disappointment. <laughs> I've seen better. <laughs> really? Uh, was that the, my the third grade Adam teacher could do better. Uh, was that the Adam West one or the uh, the one with the the floppy ears, uh, the black and white one? Uh, I didn't see the black and white one until I was a teenager. Okay. I didn't even know it existed until I was a teenager. So uh, the one that I just dis disappointed with was Adam West. Yeah. He, he's he's not a fan of the Bat Two C, you know. Well, I like the car. Oh, yes. Yeah, the car was cool. <laughs> I, I have sat I, in that I, car. Uh, I can believe that. I liked uh, Cesar Romero as the Joker. Yes. I think he had yeah. the he had the lockdown. 
He sure did. Well, you've just well, you just earned points in Velvet's book, so I'll tell you that. Um, Absolutely. Um, so, so, so I, since I guess uh, since we kind of talked uh, a lot about already about Plastic Man, I mean personally, I can't really say anything more. It was four issue series. I enjoyed every issue. Um, so, guys, I did, did the anything first else to cover you... layouts. Okay. Which, because just to help Hillary out, because. He was having, he could do the, the six page panel, six panels per page uh, sequential art beautifully. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to splash pages, uh, he was having, you know, problems coming up with something that was in the Jack Cole vein enough to, and those right. those old Jack Cole issues had great splash pages and terrific covers. So he wanted to do that too. And so I, I gave him a couple ideas for covers and he took my layouts mm-hmm. and, and ran with them. Yeah, and, so, and they break the third, the the fourth wall in this too, because at one point, uh, um, his sidekick turns to Plaz and goes, "Come on, man! The readers want to see what's what's next." That's true. You got to love the, those well, fourth wall comic breaks before they were commonplace. Mm-hmm. Well, if you're gonna do it, plastic man's the book to do it with. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, Doug, you you grew up in Chicago, correct? Correct. And and so were your your youth was the 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 forties the fifties, the fifties was the 50s. my childhood, and uh, my adolescence was in the sixties in the suburbs. Okay, now wh- what was that like growing up in Chicago? Like I grew up in Queens, New York, so during the seventies and eighties. So I mean, there there are certain things that just happened during that era. So I'm I'm wondering like what made Doug become Doug? What what were the things that inspired you? What were the stories? Um, of old Chicago from when you were a youth. Well, the, uh, there was the only story. one story about old Chicago, and that was Al Capone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was something you could never get yeah. away from. Everybody nope. comes to Chicago and expects to see gangs, gangsters shooting each other up and down the street. And to a small extent, that is still prevalent. But um, <laughs> my family, um, well, I was born in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was, uh, my family moved progressively outward to one suburb to the next suburb, always moving outward mm-hmm. because that's where the work was that my father was doing. And it's, uh, there were plenty of opportunities for housing and things and new, and new subdivisions. So uh, every house I lived in was more or less new. <laughs> mm-hmm. And did you like and comics so, from a young age? Because you said by third grade, you, you obviously Batman imprinted on you. So. Yes, well, Batman was something you, you couldn't get away from because mm-hmm. somebody always had a comic book. My comic books were usually restricted at home or where I was uh, taken by my family to things like Archie Comics and mm-hmm. Little Lulu and um, stuff like that, which was, you know, okay, but it wasn't really where I was at because <laughs> on TV, I would watch The Adventures of Superman right. and The Lone Ranger and uh, uh, Walt Disney's Zorro. Okay. And uh, these mm-hmm. are the guys that really got me. And later on, it was the Flash Gordon and Commander Cody mm-hmm. and Rocky Jones, Space Ranger. I love those too. So mm-hmm. I, I really was a uh, more mm-hmm. more raised by TV for my heroes early on, because mm-hmm. the comic book stuff was just pretty lame back then. Uh, we had Lois Lane comics, we had Jimmy mm-hmm. Olsen comics, and boy, those were suspenseful. Right. <laughs> <laughs> 
But once they once DC started doing things like the Brave and the Bull, bringing back the Flash with Carmen Infantino and uh, Green Lantern and the Atom with by Gil Kane, uh, things began getting interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, I even like that Adam oh, Strange yeah. Rocket back. He was cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, Were you drawing uh, as a young boy, Doug? I drew in the margins of my notebook little spoodle figures, mm-hmm. which endeared me to my teachers. <laughs> but I, 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 this wasn't until the sixth grade, and I came across uh, Spider-Man mm-hmm. that I wanted to do comics as a as a as a means to to an end. Uh, my it was my com- obsession from that point on because something about the rawness of Steve Ditko's uh, work and line work made it seem like it was possible for a guy like me, a kid like me, to learn how to draw because he wasn't so you know an anatomically right. correct. He wasn't so proportionally accurate. He was just full of ideas, mm-hmm. and so was I. Mm-hmm. And so he and Jack Kirby were guys I just, you know, looked at, looked at, looked at, and began moving in that direction. Uh, the only time I ever traced anything was when I got a, a projector for the, like, would take a picture and project it up on the wall with a light bulb and a mirror. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I, took, I took a piece of paper and taped it to the wall, big piece of paper, and put up a... Uh, uh, drawing of Captain America from one of the comic books I had mm-hmm. and, and penciled it out to see how things worked, where the folds went and the cloth and how the hands overlapped things and, uh, and just, just get a general sense of proportion, everything, just to figure out what they were doing. And I, I, I was able to stop just in time for the comic book caught fire from the lamp bulb. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> With this great foundation, and I inked it, so I would I would work out where where everything was. Mm-hmm. And that one art lesson, that one art lesson taught me so much that I was hooked. Nice. And doing not just little draw little scribbly drawings, I wanted to do comic book size drawings, like big paper. Mm-hmm. And that's why that was a huge step for me. It'd be a huge step for anybody. Okay. Cap and Spidey, early influences. Yeah. Oh, yeah. and, and, and his heroes were Kirby and Ditko. I mean, you can't get any bigger than that. Well, so. they were they weren't they were unknowns back then. Right. Kirby oh, yeah. style was pretty raw, I, I would think too, don't you think, Doug? That's why I, I chose it. Okay. Uh, anybody who's anatomically mm-hmm. correct and anything like that, I, I just knew I wouldn't learn anything because it was way above my head. Mm-hmm. But these guys draw intuitively. They, they stretched the point. They, they right. distorted things for effect, and it worked. Right. Right. Yeah, because because they're world builders. I mean, you know, if you want to talk grand, grandois, I mean, Dicko's uh, Doctor Strange, you know, I mean, s- still today, you see some of those panels, especially when he first introduced Eternity, you know, the detail and plus the color, it's just amazing. And then Kirby, later on, when he got tired of Marvel, he went to DC, created the the fourth world. I mean, he's building gods and and everything in his style. And to this day, you know, you're still seeing those characters that he worked on, and they still look. You still got that Kirby style, you know. So that longevity is definitely, you know, still very prevalent. And without them, 
a lot of what we he consider be, the cornerstone. I think he will be an influence for many, many generations to come. Absolutely. He has that power. Mm -hmm. yeah. And his work is that timeless. Both of them, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I think every time I see Dark Side, it just reminds me of Kirby. <laughs> well, <sure. laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> but um, so, so the other thing that we definitely have to talk about, which, you know, we might as well, is working on Pinky in the Brain. And <laughs> the only thing, Wait, the, I just got the, the one thing, the, the one thing I do have to ask, and, and I've always kind of wondered this, when you're working on something like that, do you, like, when it's just, you know, this new project and whatnot, do you ever have that feeling, like, that knowledge that, wow, this could be really big, like, this could be considered a staple of people's childhood, this is, you know, people will I, still I be got, talking about that. I got um, my assignment to work on uh, Pinky in the Brain first from the Animaniac series. Uh, the show is right. Brainania, uh, where, where they have the island set up and they're going to go to Washington to get foreign aid so they mm -hmm. can build this gigantic dryer that will make all the people's clothes uh, static cling and so they couldn't move and he would take over the world. Right. Mm -hmm. um, this was uh, my first one and I, I, was, I knew the characters vaguely because uh, right. the show had just come out and we were only getting a few episodes. But uh, mm -hmm. I, I saw the potential. The right. show was just too well made. The voice acting was just too spun. The scripts were great. And um, the fact that they were trying so hard to recapture the Looney Tunes feel in a new direction. Mm -hmm. But artistically styled in such a way that it, it, had, it, ra it raised the bar of what was being done elsewhere on TV mm -hmm. at the time. And right. I was all on board for that. And the uh, process, uh, I was lucky enough to be in the early part of the process of creation of an episode, which is working on the storyboards, mm -hmm. which is technically pre-production. And right. uh, I, got, I got to do a part of the script that they were giving me as a test of them at sea in the ship and um, there was one, one of the characters was seasick, and it's where they got to the island. They made a catapult and flung themselves ashore. Mm -hmm. I worked all that out based on the script because the script is like a Bible, and I could see, I get pictures in my head of how this stuff's supposed to look, all all in the Warner style. Right. I, I have been raised in Bugs Bunny cartoons enough that and reruns mm -hmm. and reruns and reruns and reruns that uh, I oh, yeah. I knew it by heart. It was part of my core, and I was finally able to unleash it, to regurgitate it all onto my drawing board. Uh, and I had that comic book discipline of working fast, because there are other great artists at the studio mm -hmm. I worked with, but I worked uh, where they could do two or three car uh, backgrounds per day. I did five or six. And uh, that meant you could work, the production could go faster, and... Uh, which was wonderful. Well, in studio, Warner Bros. love my stuff. <laughs> and uh, consequently, yeah. uh, we were able to get through an episode faster than the, than the regular studio could. Nice. And I loved it all. And uh, the fact nice. that I was able to meet, I, I went through an entire episode as, as a test with no changes whatsoever. 
which apparently had never happened before. Wow. Wow. And I was surprised too. I was surprised too. But uh, my boss was very pleased. He made me the layout department by myself in the corner of the office, a studio rather. Uh, He put me in charge of all the layouts. Wow. (laughs) And that's where I stuck. I did did storyboards and all the layouts I did were based on the storyboard panels that I drew. So it was uh, quite a... uh, Quite a time. I loved working on that. And picking the brain that start with, with them was uh, resonated with me for a long time. They, they were great for my career. <laughs> How many years did you work on that, Doug? Well, I worked until the August of 2001 when the shop closed. Uh, they had a change in management at Warner Brothers. And so Tom Ruger mm-hmm. and uh, everybody was gone. Spielberg had moved over to DreamWorks. And uh, the new people came in, had their own people, and they didn't want to work with us. So they, they shut things down at Star Trek by simply not paying the bill they owed us. They owed us over $100,000. Oh, wow. And they didn't pay yeah. us because they didn't need us anymore. Yeah. Hey, hey thanks. Right, so. Yeah. That, that, that's messed up. That's yeah, all. It's, uh, yeah. Yeah, that that's the equivalent of you. Th- you think different, and then yeah. now, on, on the upside, on my like, second year, nice, great. My second year at Star Tunes, they uh, they gave me an Emmy award. I got an Emmy certificate, and uh, so that translated later on to some other work, like being a professor at Columbia College of Arts in Chicago. It uh, acts as like a, a PhD, so I'm now Professor Rice. All right. Congratulations. Okay. Congratulations, Professor. And how so, long have you been teaching? So, you know? Since the uh, fall of 2013. All right. Wow. Almost yeah, a decade. Wow. Good I'm teaching traditional a- courses in that traditional man, animation. That, I mean, that man's clearly going to get in. That's all I'm going to say. Right. And Doug, traditional animation. So, um, now, is that so, what they, they're still doing today or is that just what was previously done? Well, uh, it's it's a twofold thing. Uh, yes, it is still being done today. Uh, there has been a recent uh, move in Disney uh, that they are uh, calling out for people to uh, come to Disney, come back to Disney and train doing 2D animation the, the Disney way. Yes. So they are working on reviving the, the 2D animation studio at Disney Studios. It's going on yes. right now. Uh, the other thing is that students who are aware of where the foundations for things involving digital animation came from in the first place, like the process of storyboarding, the fundamentals there that have been translated to digital storyboarding, and the fundamentals of doing background layouts that are now being applied to digital backgrounds. Um, mm. Those students know more than the other students who are only trained in digital. Mm-hmm. So consequently, they can okay. converse with their bosses on a much higher level. And the students who have been going out there to California and various places for animation have kept in contact with me and are telling me that the stuff I taught them in class have made all the difference because they just know more than everybody else. Nice. And the air bosses like that. They These go. Guys, they've been moved up into uh, jobs involving management. 
and uh, being uh, in charge of the departments rather than just rank and file. Nice. That's that's awesome. And that, that's hey, listen, so incredible that, to uh, um, uh, sorry, Drew. Uh, just want to say real quick. No, you're good. You know, uh, thinking about, you know, where the animation we grew up with and, you know, where it's been for the last several years, where it's been all, you know, computer generated, you know, it, it's like the old Disney movies. They had that magic feeling, you know, and, and you knew the hard work that was put into, you know, those those uh, stories and those creations as of I, I know there's a lot of hard work that goes into three 3D animation, but it's essentially like, you know, it's a lot of algorithms and it's a lot of like, OK, we're going to design a character and then we're going to say, OK, you're going to walk from here to here rather than drawing out each panel. You know, it's just uh, it's amazing to hear that Disney is is looking into bringing back 2D animation. Well, they they found that the uh, their core um, product, the Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck and all the other characters, have gravitas. They are really popular. They really are popular, and they are popular to one generation to the next. They they can't seem to. Get that, put that behind them as much as some people in the Disney organization would like to. But apparently, uh, they felt it a worthy, a worthy investment, and something that the rest of the world kind of expects from Disney. Yeah. And that's uh, something I, I appreciate, and uh, I'm glad they're doing it, because keep in mind that what they say about. CGI being the number one watch form of animation. People want CGI movies, all that kind of stuff. Is bullshit. <laughs> Into, no, worldwide, the most watched form of animation is anime. Yeah. Which mostly 2D or blended. Can't argue with that. Uh, it's absolutely the number one form of uh, watch animation. So our our mm -hmm. Big studios here are saying all these things about how wonderful and popular their stuff is, are just shining us. Yeah, they just don't want to have two studios in their studio one CGI, one traditional. Well, Disney's going back to uh, working on developing a traditional animation department. I wish them luck. Exciting! Oh, yeah, yeah. 100%. What do you say about Disney as an organization? Somebody there is trying to do the right thing. That's awesome, and that's one thing we've seen with with Disney. You know, is they've uh, they've definitely been putting the right people in charge. I mean, just looking at you know what they're doing with with Marvel and and Star Wars, it's just uh, this just uh, amazing. And, and looking at you know over the past couple of years, you know, one of the most popular movies to come out, Spider Man Into the Spider Verse, was a mixture of. You know, it, it had that 2D look, you know, as opposed to, well, it yeah. wasn't fully 3D. But... A brilliant, brilliant movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, Drew, I'm sorry I interrupted you a couple times. No, 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 no. I, whatever you had interrupted me about to say to him was perfect because we learned more. So yeah. interrupt me all you want, my dude. Like, it's all good. Um, so, well like my brain's just recalculating because I'm still processing everything. Um, so I had two questions. So, and, and we can answer one of one at a time. Uh, the first one was that when working on Pinky in the brain, um, 
because again, I own the series. I've met both Maurice and, and, and Rob, and I've even sat in on them at a convention reading a script in their character. I mean, you haven't lived till you've seen them reading Green Eggs and Ham because that as Pinky in the Brain, that is just. I, I I don't I think I almost coughed up a kidney, um, laughing so hard. Um, was there? Did you get to sit in on any of like the recording sessions? You know, like were I there would... any that? And then, mm-hmm. yeah, no. Go, go, go. <laughs> I I worked in Chicago, sub, south suburbs, a place called Homewood, mm-hmm. where our studio where we it was called Star Tunes was a pickup studio. Working with Warner Brothers. Okay. Uh, back in that right. particular time period of the early, like 1993, um, mm-hmm. there was uh, the, the internet was very much, you know, being built, but uh, there was direct communication between Tom Ruger's office out in the West Coast and our office out in the um, suburbs of Chicago. And they, Tom Ruger mm-hmm. and my boss, John McClanahan, had worked together on many shows going back to uh, Laverne and Shirley in the Army, which is a cartoon. Okay. Mm-hmm. That was made in Australia, of all places. Uh, but they, they, they worked well together, okay. and uh, Tom Ruger liked the way John worked in particular. But John moved back home to Homewood uh, after, after a while in Hollywood. <laughs> And it wasn't until later that uh, Ruger was able to create uh, his position at Kids WB and the connection with the Umblin, uh, Umblin Entertainment with Steven Spielberg uh, when he was there at Warner Brothers and work out what Spielberg wanted to do with creating new animated shows that were actually made for his own kids. His own kids would pick the characters for the show. The first one being the Tiny Toons. Okay. And uh, nice. by the time I got around to uh, uh, Animaniacs, which featured Vicky in the Brain, uh, the process had been kind of mm-hmm. uh, streamlined. <laughs> and uh, they yeah. they had more, more episodes to do for this new show, Animaniacs, and like 26 per season. So in order to make sure that the Hollywood studio was able to make their deadlines, which are, after all, God, uh, deadlines are critical. They decided to take six episodes from the new season and ship them out to Homewood, where John McClenahan's little studio star tunes, for them to work on from start to finish. We would get a script, we would get a storyboard, usually, and a mag track of the audio, and we would give them back a finished reel of film Ready for ready for airing. Right. We had a complete you know, start to finish setup in our studio, and they tried mm-hmm. it out on the Tiny Toons show, and and the Tasmania show, and it worked. So by the time we got doing Animaniacs, that's when I came in, and mm-hmm. so that was one of the areas they had their trouble with was keeping up backgrounds. Now in the uh, the production process. There's pre-production, production, and then there's post-production. So mm-hmm. once you've got everything approved and green-lighted by the studio, you go from pre-production to production, which is all studio stuff. Mm-hmm. And the first department in that studio that gets the work 
from the pre-production group, usually a mag track with all the voices and sound effects and music. Uh, there is the uh, storyboard that was done by the director and the script come to my department, the layout department. Mm -hmm. And uh, me and the director of the show that at StarTunes uh, would sit down and we would inhale all this material over a couple of days. We would read it and reread it and, and make notes and do thumbnail drawings and all kinds of things just to get mm -hmm. up and running. Because the work that we do has to be done in a certain length of time and according to budget. Right, and the beauty of that is, if we, you're working with a, this team that is really, really well put together, and we have um, the speed needed to do a show before it's due, that means that there's some budget left over. We get to keep it. Oh, nice! It's called Bonus. a bonus. Bonus. It's something. It's something that the animation unions worked out that we managed to uh, take advantage of, and because I did the comic book style of drawing, which was fast, because if you don't do fast drawings in comics, you don't eat. <laughs> um, that was something that uh, really worked in, in my favor. Mm -hmm. So I was able to get the work out fast which meant that the animators, the key animators, and the background painters were able to take the material and do their work simultaneously to get that stuff out faster. And we were able to get our polished episodes to back to Warner Brothers faster than they ever had it before. And looking better than they ever had before. Right. And uh, that's why they put my name on that uh, certificate for an Emmy. Beautiful. Nice. Where's that awesome. hanging? These stories all the time. Why I never drew so much in my goddamn life, <laughs> <laughs> but I loved working on it. I loved working. I, uh, th this is another one of those cases where you could just keep talking, and I'm just gonna be silent, listening, and just thinking, "God, I got to do more with my life." <laughs> <laughs> you know, just leave, you know, all these cool things, and I'm just like, I'm alive. It's 2022. I made it. It's pretty cool. Um, uh, yeah. Well, you know, one thing we'll we'll do real quick. Uh, I'm going to take a quick break to play an ad, uh, and also we have our uh, uh, our Sophia moment, uh, which we'll we'll play that. Oh, I did man. a special one. I I did a special one this week for you, uh, Velvet. Just uh, yeah, know, wanted to put together you know uh, just a, a little better quality one. So uh, all right, looking forward uh, to it. Thank you, thank you. Oh boy! So uh, obviously, uh, you know, uh, we have a new sponsor. Uh, so uh, Silk City. Uh, you know what? I'm just gonna let the ad play. Greetings, Spice fans. Silk City Hot Sauce is now sponsoring the Dorkening Podcast Network. Our craft sauces are made in Vermont in small, high-quality batches using locally sourced farm-grown ingredients. Silk City Hot Sauce comes in a variety of heat strengths and killer flavors like Jezebel, Erotic Fever, Mango Madness, and Good Morning Jonestown. And don't forget our newest creation, Hot Syrup. Make no mistake, Spice fans, this is the queen of sweet heat. There's new and unique flavors coming out all the time. 
Best of all, right now, listeners of the Dorkening Podcast Network can go to SilkCityHotSauce.com and use coupon code DORK. Not only will you get 20% off your order, we'll also throw in a free bottle of hot sauce. That's SilkCityHotSauce.com. Coupon code DORK. Yeah, crazy. 20% off your order and a free bottle of hot sauce. Uh, link is in the show notes up above or down below. And also, you know, we call this our little Sophia moment. You know, it, it's, uh, you know, picture Sicily 1988. Uh, so uh, we're going to take a quick travel back to 1988 when this Plastic Man uh, issue did run uh, all four issues. Here we go. <laughs> Okay, so today's story takes us way back to 1988. And uh, you know what? We're going to put the time cap on and set the time circuits. Captain, time travel circuit set for 1988. And today we're going to be looking at everything that happened in 1988 to get us ready for the story. So gas cost us a whopping 90 cents a gallon movie tickets were four dollars and eleven cents holy crap so we went to the movies that year obviously to go see who framed roger rabbit coming to america good morning vietnam big and uh you call that a knife crocodile dundee too also happened that year in 1988 the top tv summer top tv shows uh, who's the boss alf unsolved mysteries Night Court and Head of the Class, which they just rebooted, which I watched. It It sucked. Go watch the original. So, Saturday morning cartoons. We were watching Alf as well. We got to see his life on Melmac. Also, Smurfs, Slimer, and the real Ghostbusters. And a pup named Scooby-Doo. And who could forget completely mental misadventures of Ed Grimley. Top selling comics in 1988 was Wolverine number one, Batman Killing Joke, Excalibur number one, and Marvel Comics Presents number one. For us gamers, also in 1988, you know, Nintendo was still a huge thing. Super Mario Bros. 3 was the number one seller for 1988, followed by Final Fantasy 2. Super Mario Bros. 2 was still selling strong, and Mega Man 2. And that concludes our travels to 1988. I hope you enjoyed this little trip in history. Before you get up for that final snack, I want you to know I'll be right back. Ha! I absolutely loved Alpha. I don't know why. Add, put a little extra time into it. It's still, you know, it still needs some work, but you know, yeah, next yeah. week I'll I'll do better. <laughs> I had every one of those comics, and I, I no longer have any of those comics. It really made me sad. Uh, I, I I still have my uh, Wolverine the the four issue miniseries uh, that came out. I I just want to point out that the entire time I could not hear a word of that. It just kept freezing, so I saw about ten scenes of it. And I just said, you know, probably Doug Rice could probably animate this a little better right now. You know, just just shabams done. Oh, yeah. Send it to Warner Brothers. You know, yeah, Doug, a little a, bit, a of little bit. On it. 
more of a delve into your your career what was your first um comic or animated actual job that you received Hmm. you recall (laughs) i have um i did a job my first paying gig was for a new york publisher who had worked with steve ditko on some adult publications called eric stanton Okay, and I did I did a couple couple uh, kinky little things for them, and uh, and it was uh, actually he was the first editor I worked with who actually gave me some pointers, Mm -hmm. but I desperately needed needed them. But um, yeah, (laughs) that's as much as I'm going to say about that. (laughs) Uh, Enough said. and, and and now flash forward to more recently. Um, what, what have you animated anything in more recent years? Uh, well, on storyboards or comic books? I let's see. I did a uh, a thirty second uh, promotional thing for Star Tunes while I was there at the, toward the end, featuring a giant robot character that I mm-hmm. created for for them, mm-hmm. and. Uh, I ran 30 seconds, but I did the whole thing in terms of concept and script and storyboard and designs and uh, key animation and finished animation and coloring all in 14 days. Oh, wow. Wow, Still got it. Still got it. Yeah. And, and uh, that is, I I have that on, uh, on my uh, website, but uh, it's called Avatar. And uh, it was kind of a thing for a commercial for an antivirus commercial featuring a giant robot called Avatar. This is before uh, the uh, the other guy <laughs> uh, who did Titanic and, and the Avatar movie. Mm-hmm. It's before you, James it, it's Cameron. Before, um, yeah, James Cameron. About a month before he announced his thing, I had already put mine in production. So there you go. Um, for other things, uh, much more, much more recently. Yes, I have been involved with a, a producer from Wisconsin who's an uh, architect who mm-hmm. builds upscale home, designs and builds upscale homes mm-hmm. uh, for a living and does it very well. And as a sidelight, as a hobby, he's been doing a feature-length animated film. Um, the current title is Flabbergasted. Mm-hmm. He's been working mm-hmm. on it since 2013 with me. Uh, I had I had applied for his job uh, via the phone and sent him some email email emailed him some samples uh, and he hired me right away and uh, I work at his studio uh, in Wisconsin a place called the Richfield uh, which has essentially a country manor on the uh, in rolling hills beautiful country and uh, he has a country manor there with a West Wing, which is devoted to his business, the architectural stuff. And on, underneath the West Wing is the first basement, which has been turned into an animation studio. And at the, at the north end and the south end, he has two luxurious apartments where he brings in, he hires animators to come in and spend the summer doing his animation. 
with him supervising. That's mm-hmm. cool. And he, you know, he's an arch- artist as well as an architect. Yeah, he's a brilliant idea. He, he sees he sees the world through Walt Disney's eyes, and he's he's good at what he does. He's a good guy too. And uh, so uh, I got to spend uh, my first uh, summer there in 2013 doing animation work for him, doing storyboarding and background layouts. And because they were doing a full animatic of the entire movie as a, uh, as a way to sell it. It's like instead of giving somebody an idea and selling that and have them change everything, he was giving him what he wanted like to describe as a, a fait accompli. Where they would have to buy his story, his yeah. ideas, in order to get the project made, mm-hmm. and he wanted to make sure that they're good enough by hiring professionals from Disney and Don Bluth and anybody anybody else who's out of work to come over to his studio and work for those summers. Mm-hmm. And I met a lot of great animators there, Disney and various other studios, <laughs> even Nelvana. And uh, it was great working with you know professionals who all had. Um, a uh, history behind them. And we're all converging in this one movie to to uh, contribute to this one vision and uh, adapting ourselves to the style and everything else. And while the, the process was done in a very unprofessional way in terms of, uh, in a very unprofessional uh, technique, the results were really professional. <laughs> mm, great. Because they had a guy, yeah. the editor there, who was putting it all together every three days. Uh, he would come in and just take all the work we had done and put it into the uh, system and come out with an animatic that was perfectly timed, matching the sound effects, sound they had. And then he had actors already voiced over that were no longer even, no longer even alive, like Ernest Borgnine. Wow. And mm-hmm. gave his nice. last performance in that, in that mm-hmm. movie. And it finally got to the point where something had to change. Mm-hmm. And the first change was they're going to make it into a musical. Mm-hmm. And I'm going, what? <laughs> but they found, he found um, this guy, Tom Hignight, the producer, mm-hmm. found a, 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 a duo of composers in, of all places, uh, Nashville, who, who, who could do Disney-quality music. Mm-hmm. For this production, and they did. I couldn't believe how good that the songs were, and they're from Nashville. <laughs> but like uh, a fascinating project. It is a fascinating yeah. project. This guy has the luck of the Irish or something, because he keeps changing the project. Uh, the next thing he had to do was he well he wanted to do a three D project, and expand on that. So all the voice tracks that he had made with these. Actors that they're, they're, they're no longer no longer cheap. They're they've gone either dead or they become very expensive, and he would have to record all new voices all over again. He didn't care. Uh, it was all about doing it a certain way and getting it to look just right. And that's what he's doing. He's still doing it. That's out in 2013. So uh, this is a hobby. And uh, he's, he's kind of insane about how he does things, but he's got a pure vision about what he wants, and he won't, he won't step down. He wants it. And so I'm happy to work for him, because he knows what he's doing. It's crazy, but he knows what he's doing. <laughs>
nice. Uh, Those are the best experiences. Aren't they? Go, yeah. Uh, speaking of work, uh, I, I've been trying to find that animation uh, you mentioned, but I did find this uh, from uh, the Startoons office. Does this look familiar there, Doug? Yes, yes, it does. It's my, it's my area. All the things on the wall on the left are my uh, storyboards for an idea I had for a series called The Pozo. Uh, it was going to be an adaptation of the poems and stories of Edgar Allan Poe uh, in a half-hour format uh, with each segment being done by a different animator. Hmm. Oh, I would have watched the hell out of that. Yeah. And uh, the story was framed by, the thing called, by a big haunted house called the Poe Zone, and the host was, of course, Fast Eddie Poe. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. So, Nice. Uh, we, we, awesome. we had gotten the, we had just gotten the green light on that project, and there were a, a, there was a studio in India who was going, who was painting the backgrounds that I had designed. When they got the word mm -hmm. about Warner Brothers uh, kicking us out, and mm -hmm. that kind of ended everything. Uh, yeah, that, that would. So well, the I reason we went to the Pozone, oh, who's the one with the Pozone? No, 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 no. Everything, keep keep going. Everything that Edgar Allan Poe has ever written. It's in public domain. Yes. So the idea is still viable for anybody who wants it. <laughs> no, especially if we try taking it now, we're just going to feel guilty. It's like, man, I did, ripped off Doug Rice. He's such a nice guy. Like, no, no, I, so I actually ripped off and UPA. Then get... I ripped off UPA, which is a studio yeah. from the late 40s and 50s. They had done a um, mm -hmm. an animated short in, I think, 52, featuring James Mason narrating called The Telltale mm -hmm. Heart. And that gave me the idea for the whole thing. Mm -hmm. All right. So I don't feel so bad now. <laughs> plagiarize away. Got it. Um, I didn't You're going to plagiarize. Plagiarize you... the best. Yep. You know, play... we'll make sure we give you credit in the, in, in the credits because that's what we do now. Um, there you go. I did... I... Through your career, you know, you've been to, I'm assuming, you know, uh, events, uh, probably a couple of conventions and stuff. Did you ever have any like really notable, like celebrity moments or just something that you were like, wow, this is really happening? Like, I'm meeting this person, or especially if it's one of those where you meet like a hero, like, oh, I, I love your work. And you're just like, I'm sorry, what? Well, uh, I have a good one and a bad one. Let's hear both. I got to meet uh, Jack Kirby at a convention. Got to shake his hand, and wow, was he! He was oh really God. so good. And you could you could say anything to him, and he would know immediately what you're talking about. He was so sharp; mm -hmm. it was crazy. But uh, it was a ma magic moment for me to actually shake the hand that drew all that greatness. Mm -hmm. And the other one was a, uh, a convention uh, where I, where Jim Steranko was at, who was another oh champion of champions for me. I love this uh -huh. guy. And I have been uh -huh. working for Marvel uh, for a while on their humor book, um, What the? Mm -hmm. Both as a writer and an artist. And uh, uh -huh. Hilary Bard and I have taken an issue of what then we were doing a parody of the old strange tales uh, right. where you would have a story by 
uh, one artist doing Nick Fury, and then you have another artist doing Steve Ditko, uh, mm -hmm. Doctor Strange. And uh, mm -hmm. Hillary did the Doctor Strange story, which I helped co-write. And I mm -hmm. did a totally solo book, all, sorry, by myself, uh, of uh, Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. Done in the old style, by the old Strangle style. Mm -hmm. And I wrote it. I wrote it. I also wrote it in the Steranko style. And I was. It, okay. it remains. It remains the finest thing I've ever done. It was what the number nineteen. And uh, and I was. Well, I, I, the book. The book was already out. Had been out for a little while, and I was so excited to see to meet Jim Stranko and have him know that I had done that tribute. Really, it was a it was a spoof, right. of course. It was a tribute right. to him, and the impact it was an homage. Yeah, uh, he didn't respond. Ooh. He had nothing to say about it. That's a he bummer. Didn't like yeah, it. He didn't like it. That that that, that sounds like uh, I, I, I can yeah. attest. I've, I I I can attest, Mr. Rice. I've met him twice, and both times, like. It was, it was. Um, it's nice. It's nice to have met you, but I, I was one of those where I feel like if I'm not a beautiful woman, you don't give a shit. So, <laughs> well, that that leaves me. Um, <laughs> you know, but it, um, no, I just, I, you know, and I've heard his stories. You know, he slapped Bob Kane in the face, and you know, all this big stuff. And I'm just, it was just one of those. I was like. Thank you for everything you've done for comics, you know, especially Nick Fury. But it was just one of those, like, you kind of like, who do you think? Do you think you're somehow bigger than you are? Because, you know, it's one of those people well, give respect, but at the same time, something being, being a jerk. Even, like, though, even though I had a bad experience, I, I you have to separate the artist from the work. I love the work. I will always love yeah. it. And if I can't get into the, the personal realm because of one thing or another, it's, it doesn't break my heart. I've got what I want. What, what really mm -hmm. mattered to me was the art. Right. Oh, yeah, Absolutely. I'm definitely going to need to check that out. I'm just saying, I've met him and I've had a lukewarm reaction there. Like, still glad I met him. You know, you know still yeah. glad I have this autograph. But, you know, I was like, yeah, I've done that. Moving on. Um, but the Kirby story, oh, my God, that is... I'm sorry, that is one of the coolest things. I, I remember, what was it? Like the first San Diego Comic-Con, he was like the big guest. And I think that was like 1975 San Diego. He was like the, the big star. It was like, I think him and him and Leonard Nimoy were the two biggies. And I was like, man, what I would give to go back to that con and meet <sighs> both of them. Just, oh my God. I'd probably I'd Van Gogh myself right now just, just to go back. There, there was one, one other one other person that really made a difference in terms of meeting him at a convention. This was a great convention in Toronto. Mm -hmm. And uh, the guest I, I met and talked to was none other than Buster Larry Crabb. Mm. Flash Gordon, the original Flash wow. Gordon. Wow. And he, on the panel discussion he led, he was in such fantastic condition. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm. solid. <laughs> that guy had a handshake of iron. And he was so cool. And such a gentleman. I just, I will always mm. love 
fact that I was able to meet that particular person. A big action star of his day. Yeah. And got his autograph. Yeah. Woo! Nice. There you go. Yeah. 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 You had to. Um, I, I will say this, though, just bringing it kind of back to Pinky in the Brain. I, I've met, like I said, I've met Maurice and Paul and yeah. uh, Rob Paulson. And one of my one of the best things I remember Maurice talking about was he said that that he loves when people bring up Pinky in the Brain and saying that that was their childhood. He said he loves hearing that and he, he likes to respond saying thank you for my middle age because it just brings him such joy that, you know, people, again, who who grew up, uh, you know, grew up watching it are now a lot of them are parents and they're introducing their kids to it. And of course, it's still hilarious to this day, you know, the stuff. Have you had any moments like that, you know, when you meet people who you know, they gosh about how great it is and, and how much that they loved it. Like, have you had moments like that as well when people you've More than you would believe. More than you, more than I could believe. Because um, the fans of, whether it's Dynamo Joe or the, mm. uh, the manager I designed or mm. Picky in the Brain, as you say. Um, yes, mm-hmm. uh, whenever the, I was at a convention, um, they were there in droves. And they were very, very uh, effusive about their their fandom and, and, my, and appreciative of everything that I had done. I had to remind them, I'm not the only person who did this. <laughs> I was part of a team. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was happy to do my bit. And uh, I feel that way is uh, something very important to, uh, for any artist to get that kind of feedback. Mm-hmm. I think he might be getting a call. Uh, yeah, I think you're getting a call, sir. Yeah. Sorry, we got technical troubles on the case. Okay, no, yeah. we, we fix it. Charles is awesome. gone. Okay, cool. We, we can hear you just fine. I did meet the actor who played uh, uh, Wacko. Okay. At a convention Great. in Salt Lake City a couple of years ago. And he was terrific, Great. just... Um, Jess Harnell. He's yeah. he, Jess Harnell. He's hilarious. Oh, yeah. He was he was incredible, uh, if he's an outgoing person. And he is the girlfriend with him is like Hello Nurse. <laughs> yeah. And it was it was she was very intense. <laughs> they uh they do table yeah, reads at uh conventions, which is and, and it, they do a podcast as well. I, I can't remember the name of it, um, but it's absolutely friggin' hilarious. And, oh yeah, I've yeah. seen. They do almost all I've, the different characters. Yeah, I've seen you, videos you, on YouTube of them working mm-hmm. on some of the conventions circuit, and uh, oh my God. it's it's one of the reasons that I I felt there would be a return eventually because they were trying too hard to maintain contact and to keep their uh, keep their gig going. And uh, sure enough, oh yeah, they're back to work. Right. Yeah. Hey, Doug. And, um, I, I was wondering in, in getting to this, know. Dude. Oh, I'm yeah. sorry, Drew. I apologize. Go ahead. Um, Doug, are are you a family man? No, 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 no. I I, I pick on that. If you ever get a chance to rice to to see any of them do their tabletops, they're great. Well, no, I'm no, I'm not a family man. I'm a bachelor. 
uh, eligible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, the uh, I've been married to my work mostly. Okay. And, and you never had children, Doug? Nope. Okay. No dependents. So confirmed I've got bachelor. brothers and sisters who have nephews and nieces and things like that. So I'm good. Right. You get to enjoy <laughs> I, them, still travel, and, and you don't have to do any dirty diapers. Right. I, I, I don't travel so much. I've been a lockdown for a year and a half. Okay. <laughs> like a lot of people. Oh, yeah. Sure. Because, of, oh, yeah. because I was uh, at risk uh, in terms of, I had a heart, heart problem uh, back in uh, the 2017. I had an open heart surgery yeah. for that. Uh, mm. and it came through, obviously. Yeah. But, uh, you know, that's a healing from that, an ongoing thing. We're, we're glad okay. you're here and that you're healthy now. Thank right. you. Good to be here. Yeah. Thank you. Thank uh, you. And it's great that, uh, so um, uh, you've been doing uh, remote teaching, obviously, for the past All year. Right. Last year and a half, yeah. But I'm uh, just tomorrow, I start classes uh, in person. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. And I'm Good looking luck. forward to it. I can tell you right now that there is a... Uh, a new generation of uh, students out there who love 2D animation and are very much into it. So the cartoons of tomorrow are going to be great. Thank God. Beautiful to hear. Very, very talented. Oh. Very, very good. The f- future well, and, got and, 2% brighter. <laughs> 2% well, and, and, and it's great to hear that, you know, your talent is, is you know, leading the future generation that is going to bring us some, you know, amazing work, you know? Well, they are very talented and uh, I, I'm giving them stuff they wouldn't get most, most anywhere else because Columbia hires people who have worked in the trenches and that includes animation. So everybody mm-hmm. in the animation department has worked for a major studio. And has come away not only with the, uh, the experience, but also with some accolades, like my mm-hmm. Emmy Award. There you go. That's well, awesome. We are good teachers. Well, <laughs> hey, listen, I, I've worked in the classroom, and I've worked with some great teachers. I've worked with some mediocre ones, and I've worked with Why Are You Here's. And I, the best sign of the best teacher is ones that push you to, to greatness, even if you don't notice it. When you realize it in the end, you, you got to give that credit where credit's due. So, you know, keep doing what you're doing because it's working. I keep telling myself that uh, I'm teaching a class in, in animation. And so consequently, how hard can it be to show cartoons all day and discuss them? <laughs> <laughs> Listen, well, you get paid for something we do for free. So, you know, that's the dream. It's not living right. So, yeah. There you go. We'll get there one day, Doug. So, okay. Well, I'm counting on day. All right. Awesome. And uh, Doug, is, is there any current animation out that you're a super fan of? Um, I hate- I've, I've got a pile of DVDs, uh, screeners, mm-hmm. which I'm, I'm still trying to watch, uh, which will have more recent titles in them, which I haven't seen yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, when I go back a couple of years, there was a, a thing called Redline. Have you ever mm-hmm. seen that? Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, anyway, Redline is, was a major uh, anime per, uh, feature film. Okay. Mm-hmm. It has so, no 
socially redeeming value whatsoever. It's very much like, what if you took Penelope Pit Stop and the Wacky Races and you put it in a Star Wars universe and had it uh, directed by uh, Robert Rubikas? <laughs> nice. It's Sounds crazy. It's you put the headphones on, crank up the sound, kick your feet up back, grab the popcorn and start watching it. All because right. it's incredible. Sold. Beautiful uh, animation, 2D animation, uh, beautiful uh, ideas, mm-hmm. and great mm-hmm. pacing, fantastic music score, everything. It's just insanely good. All right. Going to definitely have to check that out. Um, speaking right. of Star Wars, if you get a chance to check it out, uh, Disney released, um, uh, I forgot what it was called, it, it, all the animated shorts. Yes, I've got that on a screener here. I have wow. to get to it. <laughs> he's, he's, uh, Leo, come on, man. He's already on the game. You know. I, I, That's I one of the I, benefits of, of being in the industry is that you get screener copies of whatever you want. Oh, nice. <laughs> nice. Uh, did you uh, ever have a chance to check out the uh, uh, the new Animaniacs? Uh, came out, what, a couple of well, years ago? I watched the first season right away. And I, I, I like this first season. I, I like the fact that it's by the same writers and features the same voice actors. Uh, I, I, the, the altered designs are okay. Uh, I only have complaint, if I have a complaint, is that the, the person who designs the uh, incidental new characters, uh, the new characters that have never featured, uh, human characters especially, mm-hmm. who are featured, are, have a very angular uh, sharp edge design to them, which doesn't fit the squash and stretch design of the other characters from the original series. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering okay. why they have one person doing all this instead of a team. Hmm. Because mm-hmm. it just doesn't look. Huh. That's, my only, that's my only observation is that I find that okay. the, uh, the sharper edge characters of a the new ones have a hard time assimilating with that world. Hmm. Yeah, definitely the animation had a different feel for it. Uh, <laughs> last question I have for you is, you know, you mentioned uh, growing up with, with Bugs Bunny. Uh, have you seen the new uh, the new Bugs Bunny that came out a couple of years ago? Uh, they tried to reboot it on HBO. Is it with Looney Tunes? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I found that interesting. Uh, I thought the design alterations worked as far as the show is concerned, and it had enough re- references, Easter eggs from other sh- from the previous uh, legacy that they had, that it made the show interesting. And so, some of the humor was different, but it wasn't bad. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. It was definitely not as raw, though. You know, like like oh, well, it couldn't possibly be. It couldn't no, possibly be. No. Uh, the uh, disinterest that the, you had in Hollywood. For the product of a six-minute cartoon or eight-minute cartoon featurette before a movie uh, was was you know monumental. They just didn't care. <laughs> so consequently, the animations animators could get away with it wherever they wanted. Right. The bosses just didn't care. Yeah. Um, okay. Now I know we ran over on time. Did you guys have any other questions before we wrap it up? Oh, I'm good. I'm satisfied. This has been oh, great. Awesome. Thank you again for your time, Doug. Okay, one Seriously. last thing. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Yeah, please. Send um, uh, working with Charles in projects, too, involving comic books. Mm-hmm. Um, first is a thing called Thunderworld, 
mm-hmm. which is a uh, series of books, uh, titles that are being developed that will involve a universe uh, using ki- giant robots and uh, giant kaiju monsters. Oh, cool. and I, I'm running that and helping design it, and uh, that'll be something that we're doing just to have a, a book that will have enough action and craziness in it to get uh, that market going. Okay. And uh, the other thing is that I've just recently announced the uh, revival uh, of reprinting a digital version of Dynamo Joe nice. with, new, with new material. And uh, there will be, a, if, if that sells, uh, the series will be continued. Awesome. So, Very cool. That's it. <laughs> I'm all done. Beautiful. <laughs> well, we'll, we'll definitely uh, let us know when it's out. Right. Yeah. Now, Doug, will you, one last question. Will you ever yeah. retire, Doug, or, or you're just, as long as you can do it, you're going to keep doing it? Well, uh, even when I retire, I'll, I'll do what I want to do. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to just, you know, fly around all day. I, 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 That's the goal. I don't I'll do it. And I, right now I've got plenty of energy. I'm teaching two days a week, uh, two, two classes in one day tomorrow, mm-hmm. which means I have six days of goofing off. Right. <laughs> So it's I'm going to be working on you got to these fill other, it other problems. So I have things to do to keep me busy. All right, that's awesome. That's how you, well, that's you stay young, you know. Yeah. You, and you if we find well. any ladies, we're going to send them your way, Doug. Oh, please, hey. please make them my 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 generation. I I cannot deal with young young women. He doesn't want an eighteen year old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll get. We'll make we'll, sure that we'll, she's forty two. We'll, forty two, Doug. Forty two. Oh, 40 years, got it. Try, try at least 55 and up. I really, right, do, right. I really do prefer older women. You got it. Well, they my, my a, mom's in Pennsylvania. I, I can send her out there. <laughs> they have a quality I admire. Yeah, yeah. You like old Jewish ladies? She makes um, reservations um, like nobody's have, business. <laughs> they can be whatever rich the guy likes likes his gilfs okay it's all good if we find any we're we'll like hey we know a guy in chicago he will animate your life it'll be one that's right <laughs> so yeah 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 i'll have to remember that one uh, so, i i, I love yeah, it we yeah, ended the show go. with uh rich trying to set up his mom yeah absolutely <laughs> with a legend yeah <laughs> She was like, what, uh, what, did, what did he draw? What did, did he draw what? Uh, well, well, we'll have to make sure next week we'll try to take over the world. So same time, oh, same place. That's yeah. the only Pinky the Brain reference I'm making. That's all I'm saying. I'm done. I'm good. <laughs> I'm fine. That's the end of the episode. Well, so thank you so much, Doug, for, for coming. It's been great. And, uh, you know, good luck with everything you're doing, classes, all your projects and, and whatnot. And uh, we'll definitely keep an eye out. And and once, uh, like I said, things are released, we'll definitely make sure to give you a shout out because all publicity is good publicity. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Oh, thank you. And yeah, definitely hit us up when uh, when you're coming out with a Dynamo Joe when that's ready to hit the streets. You know, we, we'd love to talk it up. And, uh, yeah, you know, also... Uh, you know, we didn't mention, and, and please forgive me for not mentioning this, but also thank you for your service. You know, so oh. mm-hmm. <laughs> you're welcome. It seemed like a good Same. idea at the time. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, and we'll also spread the word out about this book, so maybe you can get that nice resurgence and and whatnot. Because Plastic Man, all the way. 
yeah, we, we got to push the hell out of this uh, this classic. Yeah. Yeah. Frankly, I would, like, I would like to see the issues assembled into a trade paperback. Yes. I mean, there are only four issues, but still, it deserves something. Absolutely. Agreed. Yeah. <laughs> DC, if you're listening to us, let's get on this. We have enough Batman. Give us a little plastic in our life. That's not MasterCard. <laughs> Thank you. God. I'm good. I'm fine. Oh, uh, nice. I'm good. Uh, well, I, I want to thank everybody for watching this fine evening. Definitely check the show notes up above or down below, depending on where you're watching or listening to us to learn more about tonight's episode and our awesome guest. Uh, Doug, where do you like people interacting with you on social media? Um, I'm available on Facebook. <clears throat> That's kind of a gateway. But I have a, uh, a email address also. I, I take emails from various people who want to talk to me. Uh, I'm not stingy about that. Sweet. Uh, can we type it or? I mean, that's that one so nice. I'll send it to them. Okay, we'll send that. We'll send you the. Email yeah, you can just say it. Sounds good. Sounds good. Oh, Studio at hotmail.com. That's D E R S C H T U D I O at hotmail.com. All right. Awesome. All right. Drew. Already looking him up. I'm I'm sorry. I'm already looking him up on Facebook. Hi everyone. I'm Drew. If you're watching the show, you've already told me say this a million times. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. Ghostbuster Man 1984. I do a lot of stuff with Screen Rant. I got a lot of articles that are coming up. So keep an eye on that. I do a lot of stuff here. I'm everywhere. I'm very busy. But I swear to God, it's not you. It's me. If you reach out, I will get back to you. Probably sometime soon. Velvet Joker. All right. Well, you can always catch me every Tuesday here on the award-winning Splash Pages, a comic book club podcast. And uh, let's see. You can find me on Facebook as Rich Davis. You can find me on Instagram, GhostbusterMan1984. And uh, finally, um, I might be working on a secret project with Leo that a bunch of the Dorkening guys were pretty excited about when I mentioned it. So... Stay tuned. Yeah, it was cool. Yeah. Uh, and uh, for me, just Google Leo Pond. You'll find a bunch of stuff. Could be true, could be not. But more importantly, follow these awesome people. Definitely, you know, you, you have to go to Instagram, Ghostbuster Man 1984. You know, it's uh, you the place to be. Suck. Yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> you suck. Uh, we, we, I run a little thing called the Dorkening Podcast Network. We got about 40 shows on the network. There's so many awesome people doing so many awesome things. Uh, and we also launched uh, Dead Dork Radio, which actually you could be listening to right now because we're streaming live to Dead Dork Radio. Nice. And, uh, yeah, with that, we'll catch you guys later. Bye. Peace out. Bye.